Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Hi, and welcome to Grid Talk. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Elliot Manzer, who steers the Bonneville Power Administration in the Pacific Northwest, 80 decades plus in, in uh, history, has had a major role in the evolution of electricity in that region and across the country. And we're going to be talking to Elliot today about where his grid is headed, where the federal grid in, in the Northwest is headed, and, and what the implications are for the rest of us. Welcome, Elliot. Thanks, Marty. Great to talk to you. It's a pleasure being here, too. So let's talk about what you see as the major opportunity for evolving the the BPA grid uh, as it serves primarily Oregon, Washington, Idaho, but plays a role throughout the West. What are the the opportunities you see in the coming decade that really excite you? Well, there's quite a list. I think, as you know, we operate uh, over 15,000 miles of high-voltage transmission here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, our big network, and of course we manage inner that go up into Canada, down into California. And so for many years, we've sort of been, uh, you can sort of think of it as the backbone of the, of the high-voltage grid up here in the Pacific Northwest. And for many years, you know, the job was pretty straightforward. It was making sure we could get uh, hydroelectricity uh, on the Columbia River and the other resources that have been developed over time sort of delivered reliably uh, to the load centers um, across the region, both uh, municipal utilities in some of the big cities, and of course, many are smaller public power preference customers spread over rural parts of, of the region. And we were really established back in 1937 for sort of express purpose of rural electrification and connecting the hydro. The last uh, you know, 10, 15 years have seen uh, some pretty significant changes in the generation profile. Uh, back in the period of 2007 to 2012, we had a enormous amount of wind energy development on our transmission system. We had quite a bit of capacity in the federal grid. We also built and expanded some lines, and we were able to enable uh, over 5,000 megawatts of wind energy in this region. Elliot, do you think your accommodation of that wind power on your grid is as profound a shock posed by renewables in any part of the country? I think we certainly had uh, one of the highest concentrations of wind energy uh, in the country. Certainly other parts of the region as well, Texas and FPP experienced some growth. But I would say at the time, uh, particularly fairly highly concentrated wind development, we were right up there with one of the most rapid and highly concentrated developments of wind in, in, the, in the country, if not the world. So certainly there was some pioneering work that went on. And it created some aberrations, did it not, because of the demands of coordinating with water flows for fish conservation on the, on the Columbia and other rivers in the Northwest? Yeah, it did. There were some growing pains for sure. Um, the, the volatility and the variability of the wind forced us to rebuild on the system that was different. And then we did unique issues here in the Pacific Northwest where we'd get in the middle of the spring, early summer, when we'd have lots of runoff. And we had some concerns that there was uh, too much dissolved gas happening on the river because we were having to spill a lot of hydro uh, to accommodate all the wind that was coming out of the system at the time. And so we had some, uh, some pretty tough conversations uh, with 
the wind energy community eventually got that issue uh, resolved and, and behind us. And now we've really been turning, I think, to, your, to the fundamental question of what is the next big wave of, of development look like? So I understand that there's going to be backing off of coal generation that's been around for a long time. That's right. Plus an advent of a growing amount of customer side generation as as folks put primarily solar onto their properties. And uh, talk a little bit about how that changes the challenge. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, we're seeing a, 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 a multi-thousand megawatt elimination of coal-fired generation in the West. <clears throat> and we have some very ambitious clean energy policy on the books in Washington State and other regions of the West. California has been up front on that topic for a long time as well. And so there is a tremendous amount of renewable resource development going on uh, in the region. Uh, we're seeing a major turnover in assets, uh, some of the major utilities replacing their, their coal plants with, with new resources, renewables, uh, wind, solar, battery storage, a lot of new technology. And so for us, um, we have a couple of key challenges. First of all, the market continues to evolve in terms of system operations. I think folks have learned over the last four or five years that we're not going to be able to accommodate the kind of renewable resource development we're going to see if we're all operating in kind of a balkanized fashion. We need to work more closely together as utilities and, op- and share our operations and share flexibility. We've seen that through the advent of the energy imbalance market over the last few years through the California ISO. It has we, um, just earlier this year, signed an implementation agreement with the California ISO to get Bonneville ready to potentially join that market in 2020-2022. So that's a big opportunity uh, for the federal system and our customers. And then, of course, I think the other big challenge for us now is to try to anticipate from a transmission provider perspective what the new pattern of development is going to be. Which of the big regions are going to open up? What does that mean? Washington, Oregon, how much of the new generation will be carried at the distribution level, uh, or distributed the generation, and how much of the load would folks system have to carry? Without, without getting overly technical, Elliot, uh, your system evolved primarily to take the power from 30, 31 hydro projects in various remote parts of the Northwest towards population centers. Right. That's how it was designed. That's how it was built. And that's how you've deployed 15,000 miles of um, high-value technical transmission lines. How does the challenge ahead require that whole architecture to be revamped? And how much can you keep? How much do you need to throw out? Well, I think a couple things. First of all, one of the things we're definitely doing is we are, with, with the, the grid that's been built <clears throat> excuse me, over the last 80-odd years, is we are making significant infrastructure investments, not only to maintain that infrastructure, to sustain it, but we're also modernizing it. We're investing in a lot of digital technology, new state awareness tools, new forecasting capabilities, effectively to set ourselves up for operating in a more automated market environment with our transmission grid. So that's something that our Bonneville and I think many other utilities are going through. It's that fundamental challenge of of grid modernization. Can you quantify what the capital investment is or give folks an idea of the magnitude of that? Yeah. Well, on the sustain side, just the sheer, just keeping poles and wires and control centers healthy, we're investing, you know, over $300 million a year in the transmission side, about $250 million on the power side. And then our grid modernization initiative, which is focused very specifically on preparing for market entry and to be able to leverage many of the new digital technologies, 
that's $25 million every two-year pay period. So it's quite a bit of investment. We're trying to be as efficient as we possibly can. But I think there's just a wide awareness by Bonneville and our customers that this type of modernization process is essential for us to thrive as the markets change and the technology evolves. And to put a, a fine point on it, uh, your rates in the Northwest are, compared to the rest, country, rest of the country, fairly low because of your abundant hydro resource. I would imagine that gives you quite a margin to, to tap without getting rates really high to really modernize the grid substantially. Yeah, I think, I think look, this region grew up on affordable electricity. It's a fundamental underpinning of the economy out here. And we have, you know, particularly the last few years, as there's been, uh, you know, reductions in the price of natural gas or new technology coming on, we've really sort of tightened our belt uh, just to, make, to maintain our competitiveness. You know, we, we have power contracts with our customers that extend to 2028. We think right now we're in a, in a, in a healthy competitive posture. If you look at the, the values and the attributes and the key components of the power product that we sell to our customers, but, you know, we are ever diligent to keep our costs under control and, and to maintain our competitiveness. So that is an advantage uh, for this region. And now, as the next generation of technology comes on, um, certainly by managing our costs and being focused on the bottom line, we have freed up some capital uh, to be able to invest in modernization. So, yes, it's, it's working well, sort of maintaining our cost competitiveness and sustaining our financial strength while at the same time investing in the future. Focus for a second on energy storage. Um, Quite a bit is being put into that in California, for example, um, to the extent that that, so that resource grows uh, exponentially in coming years. How does it affect uh, your grid and the region's electric grid? Yeah, you know, we're going to be impacted by that in a variety of ways. First of all, as a, as a transmission provider, we, um, we look to energy storage as potentially a resource that we can use in our own transmission operations in certain contexts for congestion management and managing super peak loadings in certain parts of the system. So we're very interested in how the technology is evolving. Many of the utilities in the region are already beginning to procure uh, wind energy and solar energy projects paired with battery storage. So getting those projects interconnected into the system and understanding how they actually uh, provide capacity and what, what their duration looks like and how they actually perform in real-time operations of, of significant interest to us. And obviously, you know, as, that cur- as the technology evolves and duration increases and costs come down, and others, I think, will be looking for a, a wide variety of potential storage applications. It's, I think, certainly a very exciting part of uh, industry evolution. For folks that are listening that are not overly familiar with the, what's happening in the West, can you describe what the Western energy imbalance market is and what it's going to be doing yeah. in terms of your life and the life of customers on the West Coast and the Northwest? Absolutely. You know, for, for you know, many parts of the country, the United States have markets. They have uh, independent system operators or other entities that actually operate the grids over fairly wide footprints, and they effectively try to meet load at any particular moment of time with the least cost generation that's available. The West um, has, for many years, sort of largely sort of just rejected the idea of, of broader markets. We had a for, very affordable um, power, particularly up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, many of our public power utilities in Bonneville are traditionally not jurisdictional, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. 
Um, and I think that reality was there wasn't just a, a super strong <clears throat> business case for broader market development. Over the last several years, uh, as we saw um, increased amounts of renewable energy generation, uh, more and more challenges of, of building capacity on the system, I think there was an, a stronger interest and a, a sort of a new wave of emerged interest in building on a broader market in the West. After a lot of discussion, a lot of dialogue, finally the uh, California Independent System Operator several years ago sort of perked up and said, hey, guys, we've got a, we've got a market. We're operating here. It's a state market. It's an independent system operator. But it operates, uh, has a lot of market infrastructure that's already built, we think, for fairly low cost. We can have people come in and have the opportunity to dispatch your resources in combination with ours. And, at every, and every five minutes, we'll look for who's got the lowest cost generation that can be used to be able to serve load. And back, I think, in 2013, 2014, uh, Pacific Corps uh, in, in Portland uh, decided to join that market, take that big step. And it was really kind of a game changer at that point. Um, it, they, they established with California ISO this energy imbalance market. And within a few years, many of the other utilities in the West uh, decided to join it. And at this point, uh, after its first several years of operation, I think they've estimated that it's generated over $800 million of benefits to consumers through lower-cost dispatch by sharing resources over a broader footprint. We've been watching the resource. We actually played a pretty important role in helping get it up and going in its early stages. We had to work cooperatively with the California ISO because many of the utilities up in the Northwest had to use our transmission system to get into California to trade with them. And so we worked very constructively with the California ISO and others to get the market up and operating. Then we sort of sat back and looked at it from the business case perspective for BPA and our customers. Just a number of issues around governance and policy and our statutes just to make sure that we could meet our fundamental statutory obligations by joining. And finally, <clears throat> late earlier this year in the fall, we did conclude that there was a solid business case for Bonneville to join. And although we haven't made the final go live decision, we did sign an implementation agreement with the California ISO in September, which puts us on the path to um, going live in um, the spring of 2022. And if the California ISO continues to op operate the market as we've seen and we stay true to our sort of principles, uh, we think there's a good likelihood that we'll eventually join. So we will be uh, you know, filling in another big part of the map of the West of entities that are participating in this new market. And the other thing I'll add is that the market participants for the energy imbalance market are already at work at what could be a potential enhancement of that market into the day-ahead environment. The EIM is a five-minute market. They're also talking about potentially sharing dispatch on a day-ahead basis. And the other element that they're looking at is, is creating some price formation or some market mechanisms to actually compensate the providers of capacity, particularly entities like Bonneville that have carbon-free flexible capacity, for standing ready to help the market meet its ramping and flexibility requirements. Also another potential revenue source for Bonneville to continue strengthening our competitive position. So to what extent will you have to make new investments on the Bonneville side to accommodate the challenges and maximize the benefits of joining the imbalanced market? Uh, there's a significant investment. I think as I was discussing earlier in referencing our grid modernization initiative, uh, several uh, of the major projects in our grid modernization initiative are designed for EIM preparedness. So we have work on, on metering and settlements and energy scheduling and outage management, field capture. There's a lot of technology infrastructure that we're having to build 
to get ready to participate uh, in this marketplace. Uh, there's also this process reform and just general human change management to get ready for doing business in a fairly significantly different way. So there's a lot. The other thing is that you know we do not actually own uh, and operate the the dams. The dams are owned and operated by the Corps of Engineers and the Bureau of Reclamation. So we also have to work with our federal partners uh, in to stay aligned and make sure that technology enhancements on their side of the meter are made uh, in accordance with these timelines and budgets and that we get everything ready uh, in time for a successful uh, go live. So it's a big lift for Bonneville, but we're very focused on it. And I think uh, we're generally, generally excited uh, to be part of that. Well, the other question is once this transformation is made, um, to what extent will it accelerate deployment of renewables at the customer end and, and more energy storage and all these new technologies? Yeah, it should unequivocally have a big impact. I think, you know, many of the utilities out here in the West, I think, have really embraced the, the path uh, towards a clean energy economy. We've been fortunate out here for many, many years, particularly in the Northwest, to have a, a clean energy economy that's built on this foundation of, of hydro, electricity, and so we enjoy, you know, one of the cleanest system mixes in the, in the United States. But certainly out here in the Northwest, I think the broader West, the path towards much bigger renewables and, and you know, cleaner technology is, is going to advance. The market, I think, many people see as, as being a critical piece of the management infrastructure to get those kinds of renewable generation numbers onto the grid. I think it's also likely through its pricing mechanisms and structure uh, to be quite useful in enabling... Uh, new technology, battery storage technology, and also hopefully unleashing even more flexibility and capacity out of the demand side. There's a lot of capability in the load side of the equation that I think we've just really started, particularly up in this region, in, in unleashing a lot of the demand side flexibility. So that'll be another part of it. I'm curious, uh, as being a federal entity, do you have... Um an easy pathway to calling on the federal labs to research new technologies applies to the gear to the grid. And uh, if so, what what are you showing and demonstrating on the Bonneville's uh, BPA's fifteen thousand miles that might be harbingers of change to come to the grid elsewhere in the United States? No, that's a great question. Yeah, you know, we've done a lot of work over the years, particularly with the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. Uh, several years ago, we did a very ambitious smart grid demonstration project uh, that was administered by the Tell Labs. It was a very, very interesting sort of look into a variety of different demand-side technologies. We've also uh, collaborated uh, with the labs on the development of synchrophasers through the West and across our system. These are instruments that, that register very finely time-stamped measurements of what's actually happening on the grid. They help you understand areas where there may be capacity limitations on your system, where they help you diagnose problems and anticipate issues. And so generally working with, with the labs on state awareness tools and analytics has been very successful for us, and we expect to see much more as artificial intelligence and load forecasting technology continues to evolve in the utility sector. What are some of the things that, that you see out there that are really exciting in terms of experiments and capabilities um, that you're you're deploying on the grid right now? You know, just in general right now, there's a lot of focus, I think, of trying to get the consumer more engaged in, in energy decision-making, uh, in making sure that the technologies that they put in their home 
can be part of load resource balancing. There's a lot of focus on trying to figure out which combinations of technologies and pricing mechanisms will most effectively engage customers in being part of the load resource balancing solution. I think, obviously, as we watch the movement towards much greater vehicle electrification, that's something that has a big impact on our public power customers. And so we're watching that to see how that pattern of load develops on the system and what that means for the distribution grid and potentially for the wholesale bulk transmission system. And then, you know, there's always, there's always the element of the, the, the known unknowns, right? We, I, I just think back over the last 10 years, just how far uh, the renewable energy technologies have evolved now seeing the emergence of battery storage. I know there's just so many bright and capable people coming into our sector and so many new market entrants, but it's just the pattern of technology innovation is going to accelerate. And I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for utilities and others to just help run the grid more reliably, affordably, and of course, with a, with a, with a lower carbon footprint, which I think is very exciting. If somebody was to twist your arm and ask you to put a percentage on the percent to which your BPA grid is digital versus analog, how would you break that down as of today where we sit? Well, it's a good question. I'm not sure I have a, a hard answer to that. Um, if I have to go and do a little more due diligence. How about a soft answer? <laughs> I will tell you that you know we're you know our grid modernization is, is effort is you know taking a lot of infrastructure. You know much of it developed in the you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s uh, before the advent of the modern technology and converting. So we still have, we have quite a bit of work to do here over the next few years uh, to make that conversion. But So that's the reason I'm asking that, the, the extent to which if it's half and half that you have a lot of work, if you're three quarters digital, just ballpark, how far have you come? I, I, I'm just going to say, I think we're probably, you know, at the end of the day, we're probably um, on the north side of 50%. Uh, but with a lot of work to do still. So it's, I don't think I've ever had the question framed exactly like that before. But certainly, um, you know, just this year, we, we updated our automatic generation control system, which is one of the most important pieces of technology infrastructure that allows the system to respond to momentary fluctuations in the system. Those enhancements have already brought greater efficiencies. Where we've invested in technology that allows us to carry reserves on the hydro system in a much more granular and efficient manner. So those are the places that we're focusing right in the heart of system operations and, and grid infrastructure. And we're going to keep our head down until um, the job's finished. And of course, there will always be a certain element of evolution. Technology is constantly evolving. So part of it would just be to stay up with the curve and, and continue to, to drive industry change. Some parts of the electric grid, and I'm thinking of a specific project on the East Coast, as the grid has gotten smarter, it's enabled utility and grid owners to uh, avoid making capital investments that they would have had to made, make in the past. And there have been cases where you've contemplated some fairly expensive power line construction projects that you've been able to dial back. Can you talk a, bit, a little bit about that and how the new, new technology is helping you in that way? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, just a few years ago, we were facing increasing amounts of transmission congestion in the Interstate 5 corridor, sort of between Seattle and, and Portland. And for many years, we had had uh, on the books uh, potential new transmission build uh, that we had been planning for. And a few years ago, we sort of really dusted that off and said, hey, is it actually time 
uh, to build this line. We did a lot of permitting. We did a lot of work with communities. And the reality was the cost of the line uh, was escalating uh, very, very steeply. There was a lot of resistance to building the line because it would go through some relatively populated areas. And we basically asked ourselves, is there an alternative way to manage the congestion on this line, on this path? Is there effectively a non-wires solution that we can embrace here? And we sent our transmission engineers and planners back to the drawing board, and they came back with a suite of tools, everything from taking a look at our risk curves in terms of how we quantify the amount of transmission capacity, uh, looking at our state awareness tools where we could constantly monitor in real time what the congestion was on the path. Uh, they looked at our commercial products and services to see if we were doing anything to exacerbate uh, the congestion problems. Uh, we also worked with the California ISO uh, to use some of the uh, generation flexibility of the energy imbalance market to help uh, pull power out of California uh, up into the Northwest when, when otherwise we would have transmission congestion. And we concluded that we had a deep enough portfolio of alternative pr approaches that we would not have to build that line, which at the point at that point was costing I think almost a billion five and climbing. So that was a pretty good success story of a non-wires transmission solution. But, you know, uh, Byron recently, uh, who decided to take on the local responsibility of building a local transmission line and then leasing capacity back to us. So in that case, the line was actually built, uh, but we were not the entity that built it or the one that had to deploy capital. And then I think in other places, you know, we're still convinced there's going to be a need for, for physical high-voltage transmission expansion in this region. And we we're taking a look at that. One big build on the east side of our system and for other utilities, uh, there will be other lines that I think will be necessary both to import, export resources between regions and to enhance the connectivity across the west so that the markets can operate as efficiently as possible. In summing up, um, as we conclude here, uh, if you had to describe the state of the grid evolution on the Bonneville system, as you sit there today, what kinds of words would you use? I would say, I guess the first word that comes to my mind is committed. You know, we are very focused on, on modernizing uh, the Bonneville transmission grid uh, to make sure that it can both leverage and enable uh, the next wave of, of industry change. Uh, we, I would say we're focusing a lot on anticipating and trying to visualize what that next wave of, of generation development will look like so that we can accommodate it, make sure that ourselves and others have the necessary grid infrastructure to get it on the system and maintain reliability and, and make sure that we have enough resource adequacy in this region, particularly with the big policy changes. And then I think uh, ultimately it comes down to collaboration. You know, these, I think we're all realizing here in the Western United States that we're not going to be able to achieve the kind of objectives that we have for the future of our power system without really sitting down and working with each other, looking for ways to share resources, looking for ways to both hold each other accountable for showing up uh, sufficiently and reliably, but at the same time looking for ways to keep costs as, as low as possible and, and run the grid as efficiently as possible. So I think those three elements probably are the first to come to mind. Great. Great. And thanks all for listening to Grid Talk. And thanks to our guest, Elliot Manzer, for sharing his insights about changes in the industry, as well as clearly in his BPA region in the Pacific Northwest. Thanks, Marty. You have been listening to Grid Talk, 
You can send feedback or questions to us at gridtalk at nrelnroll.gov. We encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. For more information and to get a list of upcoming podcasts, please visit smartgrid.gov. Have a nice day. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.